You're listening to K&J Recaps. Welcome back to K&J Recaps. I am Jess. I am Kim. Hi, Kim. How are you doing? I'm good. How are you, Jess? Um, I've been better. Oh, no. Yes. Discerning listeners of last week's podcast may have noticed that I sounded like I was talking underwater because I had quite a bad cold. And while I think I sound better this week, I have this like brutal hanging on cough. So I'm apologizing in advance to everybody. I'm sure what will cure it is two hours talking about Westworld. But just There's no better doesn't. cure for a cough than two hours <laughs> of nonstop talk. <laughs> Absolutely. You know what's a good way to make yourself popular is going to a jam-packed movie theater with a really terrible cough, which did is you? another thing I did this weekend. You did? Yeah, oh, I no. went to see the like opening matinee of Fantastic Beasts and Where to Find Them with a bad cold, so I apologize <laughs> to everybody sitting around me. Well, luckily, and... on a podcast, unlike uh, the movie, you have a mute button. So I do. Um, unfortunately, with the mute button, you can sometimes sort of like hear it going in and out. But uh, yes. but yeah, totally understandable. I'm sorry to hear you're feeling under the weather. Yes, and I assure you all, hearing me come in and out is a little bit better than hearing me cough in your ears, which is really <laughs> awful. So... Uh, but there is much to discuss. We are recapping episode eight of Westworld. Only two episodes left. Yes. Which is crazy and scary, I find, at the same time. Um, yeah, I just, I'm uh, yeah. I'm really looking forward to, like, what they have in store for us in the last couple of episodes. Because, like, obviously we had this huge reveal in the last episode. This yeah. one, it didn't have any of, um, like big conspiracy theories to the level I don't think of Bernard being a host but there was still a lot of reveal in this episode so they really seem to be ramping up a little bit with the um sort of tying together of some of the loose ends so I'm obviously really anxious for that and I did feel like this this episode was like practically a list of all my theories gone wrong (laughs) it was like literally every everything that I said in the last episode I was like oh well that's incorrect and oh that that didn't work out the way I thought it would but uh but that's okay right the fun is in the theorizing and I do still right. feel like there's um, there's room for some of them to be right, uh, but a few that were wrong also. That's okay. That's <laughs> well, okay. and if this, I know, I mean, what a show to be talking about in terms of trying to predict what's going to happen, because if there's anything we've learned over the past eight episodes, it's that we really don't know for the most part what is going to happen. So I think that, totally agree, last episode was about a big reveal, this one I think sets the stage. We're into these episodes now where we we touch base with everybody and you can start to feel it kind of closing the loops, even if you're not getting that full payoff just yet. Mm-hmm. Um, the fact that we don't go entire episodes without seeing certain people, you know, um, the way that we kind of were earlier in the season yeah, shows that I think it's all going to start to come together. And I assume that the penultimate and final episodes both will have you know, a lot going on in them and uh, and kind of bring it all together. So for sure, I think we're set up for that at this point. Yes. 
Um, so this was like almost, this was almost bizarre to see this very beginning shot where yes. um, we have Ford telling Bernard to bring himself back online, which is obviously a line that we see over and over again with all of the various hosts by Bernard often. Um, so that was kind of weird to see him in the host position of that dynamic. Um, and it kind of had like a big pause, I found. Like I I, I think the show kind of underlined it too because Anthony Hopkins was like, bring yourself back online. Bernard. Bernard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if you missed episode seven and just watched episode eight, you were like, what? <laughs> um, so Bernard remembers what he did to Cullen. So this was uh, shortly after her, her murder, I would guess. Uh, so he's like emotional and he's sobbing. And Ford talks about his emotions and how he should be really proud of them. And they're a thing of beauty because Bernard himself was the author of many of the emotions. So he was he was talking about how, like, you know, he wanted um, the hosts to have heart and he wanted them to have a spectrum of emotions. And like the human lab techs that he had employed to do the job just weren't getting it done. So he created Mm -hmm. Bernard to help him with that. So um, Ford quotes uh, Frankenstein, as you tweeted about. I wasn't familiar with this quote um, as he's talking about sort of the reasons why. Cullen had to die, ultimately kind of summarizing that it was worth it for, you know, the bigger picture. Yes, the greater good. The greater good. His grand designs, like, Mm -hmm. um, made her death warranted in his eyes. Um, And ultimately, he says that, you know, the board would have destroyed everything and he, they would have destroyed Bernard and he wasn't going to let that happen. So Bernard doesn't want to help him and he has this you know, outburst where he throws a chair and um, yes. Ford like shuts him down with the with the line like "That's enough, Bernard," which again we've seen several times before. Um, and so this was very revealing when Ford says that Bernard was not the first person to threaten him. Arnold threatened him too, and he couldn't stop him either. So yeah. I mean, Absolutely. does that solidify in your mind? We had already talked about the fact that we thought that it was a very likely possibility. I think a lot of people are speculating that Ford murdered Arnold. Does that solidify it for you? Yeah. And don't you find it strange? Like, I, for such an intelligent man, as we've seen, his cover-up of Teresa's death is shoddy. Um, and I don't know if that is intentional to just be, like, a big fuck you to Hale and the board and uh, like almost entice them to try and incriminate themselves by coming after him. But he does such a poor job and basically uses what seems to be almost the exact same method as Arnold's death. You know what I mean? Like it's. Do we know the method of Arnold's death? Sorry, I guess it's like that it happened in the park and it looks like a suicide or an accident, like that kind of you know, concept. Right. Um, and I guess there aren't that many outs for you. I mean, obviously, she is not coming back as Robo Teresa, as we <laughs> speculated in the last episode. So that's not happening. Um, although I'd like to talk about who we think is being created right now. Elsie. Um, <laughs> like me. Yeah, right. Maybe. Someone's got to come back as a robot. Yeah. All these people can't suddenly start dying and nobody... <laughs> puts it together but I mean and we can talk about this when it happens too but I think the way that he erased everything 
from Bernard to the point where Stubbs is now suspicious because Stubbs is super like, suspicious. And of course he is because yeah. like how could you of course people Ford is not the only one to have figured out that they had a relationship. Yeah. Um and like Stubbs says it's my job to know that that's happening. Um in the sense that he would know the comings and goings of security and people in people's rooms. Um so, and then, you know, the cover-up of, I th- of I, So it, it just, yeah. I think that it's possibly a combination of things. On the one hand, I do think that the interaction with Hale and the, you know, somewhat sloppy um, cover-up of Teresa's death um, could have very well been a fuck you to Hale and to the board. Because I think that Ford doesn't give a shit. Um, and I think that it was almost like when he raises the fact that Teresa... Um, and Teresa alone, he gave all culpability to her about the hoax that was the Clementine demonstration. Um, I think that ultimately Ford was saying, like, I know what you did. And Hale, when she says, um, you know, Teresa was very careful, this seems very out of character for her. Hale is saying, I know what you did. And, yes, the, you know, the two of them are kind of playing chicken with each other. Um, yeah, he's calling her bluff and seeing whether she really is able to say something. Right. Um, and not. But I do think that Stubbs' suspicion when he has that interaction with Bernard after Bernard me- Bernard's memory is erased to the point that he says he barely even knew her. Like, yeah. I mean, who would buy that, really? Um, I think that that was an oversight on Ford's part. I think that that was him being perhaps overconfident in um, his abilities to just make it all go away. Um, Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, I think, um, and we can talk about this because it comes up a number of times in these conversations, but what we learned here about Ford's insights on what separates hosts from humans, which is essentially nothing is just such bullshit in my mind. Like, I don't know, I'm still like struggling to articulate it even after watching it again, but it's something that has been mulling over in my brain all day as I've kind of been going back to this episode. And this is the point I keep landing on for this whole episode is like this conversation as to what the difference like of consciousness really means and how humans aren't really that different. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think part of what he is dismissing here is how the emotional intelligence of humans and that that will really stick out to Stubbs that, you know, Bernard would dismiss that they ever had a relationship and say he didn't know her. I feel like that's all kind of tied in together somehow. Um, And he's just kind of foolish when it comes to that stuff and he doesn't give it enough weight. Um, And I think he doesn't recognize, I mean, this, this kind of theme, but of like love or emotional caring or like having a soul, whatever kind of thing you want to say here. But the same thing about not taking it seriously enough, um, even Maeve and the love of her daughter, you know, mm-hmm. um, and what that was able to do to her programming. Um, and so, so you he, think that Ford is ultimately overly dismissive of both hosts and humans alike in their ability to have real and genuine emotions and connections with others that could surpass this kind of box that he's put them all into where everyone human or host are just living in a loop and um, our own self is just a story that we tell ourselves and like you think that he's essentially just not, not giving them enough credit? 
Exactly. Or not enough weight. And I think if even Teddy, who now can remember the man in black because his flashback is centered around the man in black hurting Dolores, um, there's something that keeps sticking with me there. And maybe it's that's not it. But yeah, I do find there's there's an issue with how he thinks he can. He's so smart and such a great programmer and look at everything that he's created. But I find him so short sighted when it comes to this. And I think it's going to be the downfall of what he's created because it's what's able to overpower. For sure. I mean, like, ultimately, I think that you can look to Maeve's storyline in particular as being Mm -hmm. like this, you know, real example of what what you're talking about there exactly. I mean, I think that um, Ford has no question in his mind that uh, a memory wipe and a change of storyline is all that Maeve needs in order to forget the murder of her daughter and um, the, you know, terror that she had in this past storyline. And we see, obviously, that that's not true. And I have a lot more to talk about with Maeve and to ask you about when we get to the later scene where, you know, even before she is Maeve the Madam of Mariposa, She's in the lab mourning her daughter and is even then able to wake herself up and then stab herself in the neck. Um, So I'm like, why? Why did Ford even put her back in? Why isn't she um, decommissioned at this point or whatever? But I think that it all speaks to Ford's incredible overconfidence and his um, God complex that he does not recognize that there are things he simply does not have control over. Um, yeah. And he he is losing control of all of his, you know, creations and employees alike. Yes. Very quickly. Yeah. And yeah. And, you know, not nearly to the same extent, but I just think there's something funny about Arnold caused him problems and tried to stop him 30 some years ago. And he makes it look like there was something that happened in the park. And then, you know, Teresa tries to stop him 35 years later and there's an accident that happens to her in the park. It just seems like almost comically like the same mo you know behind it right um i do agree that the way he said he tried to stop me um indicates that he was involved in the demise of arnold that we don't fully know about yes and then obviously he's thought through how he can do this to Teresa too yeah i completely agree um, and then he uh, he tells Bernard that he needs him to cover up their involvement in Colin's death, and then then he'll give Bernard what he wants, which is to erase the memory of his murder of Teresa, and of course erase the entire relationship. Which we've already spoken to a little bit about how Stubbs is um, suspicious of that. Uh, so he does it. He erases all of the video of he he and Colin walking together when he like takes her in the elevator, which ultimately is taking her to her death. Um, he incinerates letters and stuff from her, so wipes it all clean. Sad. Yep. Um. So then we're back in Suitwater. Maeve is in the bar. We got an excellent player piano version of House of the Rising Sun. And just a plug, if anyone has not heard it, because um, I saw a lot of people tweeting about it last night, but I, but HBO did release a limited version of the soundtrack, um, which I can get on iTunes, I'm sure is on most, you know, streaming slash music buying services. So I assume they'll have a full version at the end of the show, but it is pretty cool to hear those old school player piano songs that have been such a kind of hit throughout the series. 
Also, the, the I listen to it at work sometimes, and then when the theme song comes on, I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> <Best world. laughs> uh, um, so we hear that same old Clementine line of not much of a rind on you, but now there is a new Clementine. Mm-hmm. Yeah, even that's named some Clementine, salt like, in the wound right there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, um, which is unusual, I think, because I mean, I would have thought that like a host carries their name throughout many storylines, right? Right. So maybe this is a brand new host that has just been named for the first time, but... And, like, has gotten a lot of Clementine's content or something. I don't know, yeah. So the, yeah. the reason what I say why I say that specifically is because in a later scene when we get this flashback of the hosts who are learning to dance, and this is the same, same flashback that we saw when Ford was um, telling Bernard about the first hosts ever... You, yes. You know, where they're learning to dance. Yeah, exactly. And, yeah. Um, so one of the lab tech techs says, um, very well done, Maeve. And yes. I took a screenshot and I zoomed in close and it does look like it's Sandy Newton, but I can't tell it's a little bit blurry. Um, so if that is the case, if they carry their name throughout all of their various storylines and this is in fact Maeve, then we were incorrect when we talked about how Maeve might be a newer host and not an original, because I think that that would place her in an original, like, timeline. Yeah, agreed. And she, I mean, there's reference to it, too, where she says parts of me are quite old. So I do, I think until this episode, we have not gotten any indicator that she is one of the original hosts, but I feel that those two clues are good indicators that actually Maeve is yes. possibly quite an old host. So I know that I came to the conclusion that Maeve was not, was a newer host because um, in the Logan and William storyline, it looked as though Clementine was the madam of the Mariposa and we didn't see anything of Maeve at all. But of course, now that I'm thinking about it, we know that Maeve has been the madam only for about a year prior to that she yes. was in different storylines so um we could very well have a simultaneous storyline where Maeve is out in the country with her daughter living that storyline while Clementine is the madam of the Mariposa and William and Logan are going about their their trip you know what I mean so that's why yeah. we haven't seen Maeve in the past storyline even if she was in fact an older host because we do know that the man in black visits her in that storyline so if that yes. is the case she had that storyline for a very long time. Um, but then we know that some people, hell, they have the same costumes for 30 years if the multiple timelines is right, right? So yeah. I don't know. It's like everything changes in Westworld and yet nothing changes. So yeah. So she's in the bar. She has one of these flashbacks. So we know um, from this conversation that's coming up with Felix and Sylvester that hosts remember things Basically, literally, like they they don't remember things like mm-hmm. humans do, where we forget things over time or memories change. They literally experience their memories, which um, I think that is both really evident and understandable when you think about it. But I think it also helps understand what these flashbacks have really meant. Like we see if she has a flashback that's really physical. She has like a physical reaction to where she was injured. Right. Like when she's stabbed in the stomach, mm-hmm. she actually grabs her abdomen. Um, and I think that makes it a lot, a little bit more clear as to why that's the case. Yeah. And so she's having that flashback with her daughter in the country. And then she's back with good old Felix and Sylvester, our favorites. Um, and they're explaining these memories to her. And she asks about 
the host who was her daughter and what happened to her. And they're going to kind of look it up and then she decides she doesn't want to know and that it's just a story to keep her there anyway and she's going to be focused on getting out. So I found like this is really kind of heartbreaking because, you know, she's she's trying to buy into this idea that they're just robots and it's all fake, but there's no denying she clearly felt real love for her daughter, right? Yes, like, yeah. yeah. And then we find out why the host can't just leave. So we did talk about this last week too. And there is a literal, they cannot walk out the door explanation that they will explode. Yeah. Um, it makes sense. I mean, we talk, they talked about this last week too, that that's a lot of information to walk out the door and it literally can walk um yep (laughs) she would need a full rebuild it's in her core 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 code um Mm -hmm. but of course Maeve is incredibly intelligent now um I'm kind of surprised by this um especially after seeing Maeve's um reaction to the death of her daughter in this episode, which, of course, at the time, um, Maeve was not fully awake. But those emotions were, you know, really real to her because she's still experiencing the loss now, right? Um, But then also with Clementine in the last episode where um, she's fully awake and she's fully self-aware and she really experienced this loss, right? Um, So I'm a little bit surprised that Maeve seems to be somewhat... Uh, overly self-preservationist and not at all concerned with trying to free her fellow hosts at this point. Um, And maybe that's just something that we haven't kind of seen develop yet. But when she says that she really doesn't care about where her um, daughter host is now or, you know, she and Clementine were just programming to keep her there. Mm. I guess I would have expected that she would incorporate them and her other hosts in her plan to, like, free them all. Um, But it seems like she is mostly concerned with just she herself not living as a puppet any longer. Yeah, it's a good point. And and then, of course, in a later scene, she's super happy to be the narrator and, you Mm -hmm. know, have hosts kill each other. And like there's she no longer is trying to, like, stop violence amongst hosts. Um, Right. I really thought that that spoke to a level of her enjoyment of this power that she that she has. Um, And I guess it's her storyline, though, I'm enjoying it enormously like it's kind of taking a bit of a slightly darker turn maybe than I had expected that it would um like I definitely expected her to sort of rage against the machine and like free you know free free herself and I thought free her fellow hosts you know and stuff from the park or even to like awaken them and free them from this control that they are under. Um, But instead, it seems like she is just kind of focused on like enjoying wielding this power. I I do think that the army that she is going to like raise is potentially going to result in a lot of like host shields for her so that she can like, so she can get out. You know what I mean? Anyway, so it's it's a uh, it's a really cool storyline to watch, uh, but slightly different than I a direction that I thought it was going. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. Um, so yeah, the scene ends with her agreeing that she's going to need an army and she's going to need administrative privileges in order to do that, which we, she will get. Yes, 
Um, so William and Dolores are riding through Ghost Nation territory still. And um, so Dolores sort of recognizes the place. She says they're close to the destination. And when William asks, like, what is that place? She says home. Um, so they come across a bunch of, of dead men by the riverbank that have been attacked by the Ghost Nation, I presume. Um, one of them is still alive. And they're all confederados who were supposed to be part of the ambush on the train. And um, this like dying man on the on the ground says that a new recruit to the confederados told them that they had been double crossed. And that, of course, is Logan. We have not seen the last mm. of... No. that douchebag yeah. <laughs> so i feel like this was a turning point for william in this scene where we are really starting to see the man in black come out agreed yeah so dolores wants to give this dying man water and william is very hesitant um dolores wants to sort of like help him and even though he's too far gone to survive um she doesn't want to leave him and william says like he was gonna kill us but dolores is like well what kind of people would we be if we just left him alone to die so she goes to the water sorry she goes to the river to get water while she is down there she has like a flash or a vision of her own body like floating in the river yeah and a voice um, says, come find me. So I felt this voice sounded different to me. You? Yeah, I remember thinking the other voice sounded really like Bernard. Um, yes. To the point where I kind of thought it was at first. And I I couldn't figure out if this one was different or if I was just misremembering. But yeah, you thought so too? Yes, I, I listened to this so loud in my earphones over and over again. And I I feel certain that Evan Rachel Wood's voice is underlying a male voice. Okay. Like, and every time that we have heard Arnold's voice, I'm calling it Arnold, but it's, I think that's pretty fair. Um, like Arnold's voice in um, Dolores's head, it's always been strictly male and you're right, like it really kind of sounded like Bernard, but distorted purposefully. Um, but in this one, there was definitely a female undertone. And I think it was two voices layered on top of each other. And one of the voices, I think, was Evan Rachel Woods. Interesting. So what do you think it means? I, yeah. <laughs> I think that that, I think that it speaks to... Um, like her developing... Her her developing consciousness right. or like that these these thoughts are potentially her own right um and that maybe they presented themselves as arnold in the beginning and i don't really know how that would work like i know that there's programming and um you know arnold had done the original programming so that the commands would um sound like a voice in their head but eventually he hoped that their own voice would take over so I can't remember exactly the logistics of how they said that that would happen, but to me, I think like this is in a this is that evolving. Interesting. But the reason why she is floating in the river, I have no yeah, idea. That's right. <laughs> um, so uh, she turns around, she calls William's name. She's all alone, and then turns around again, and William is there with the Confederado dying. Um, you know, just where they she left them. Um. So when she comes back up with water, uh, the Confederado dies almost instantly when she comes back. And based on the look that William had given him after she walked away, um, I think that William 
really sped his death along. I agree. Yeah. So what like or why are you seeing those kind of characteristics come out where he's like impatient and um you know not caring and no compassion in the scene? That's a good question. I almost I think almost maybe that it's twofold. I think that the first might be that the longer he's in this world and the more he gets used to this level of violence that we did not see from him in the beginning, which started, of course, with shooting an unarmed man when they were doing the nitro heist, right? I think that that was kind of the start of it all. And I think that once he started and he did it once, uh, he perhaps realized that it wasn't as hard as he thought it was, that he didn't feel as bad as he thought he would. And um, maybe he's telling himself all along, like, they're not really human anyway. It doesn't really matter. There are no consequences for these actions. And then at the same time, I think that he holds Dolores separate and apart from the way that he views those other hosts, perhaps. And like, he is seeing Dolores as a human, as a person that he cares about. And so he is simultaneously disregarding the, you know, air quotes, life of this confederado in order to spare Dolores the potential of being killed herself if the ghost nation find them. And at the same time, finding it very easy to do that because he knows that this man is not human. So it's almost like, it's it's almost hypocritical of him to be like he is he's doing it in order to save Dolores because he cares for her and at the same time has no problem sacrificing others because he recognizes that they are not truly human. Right. I don't know. I there's something about how he is with Dolores in this episode. Um like possessive almost is the word I want to use. Um he like he's everything he's saying is kind of about her well-being but you know she's trying to like figure something out and she mentions Arnold's name later on and he's really dismissive of a dismissive of that almost in a kind of jealous way you know like Arnold's not here but I am mm-hmm. um and yeah it's like anybody who's taking her attention is perceived as a threat almost rather than yes worthy of his attention too that's very true. And it's like almost, um, you know, while I just said that he is seeing her as a person that he cares about, at the same time, there might be a bit of an underlying there for him, too, where he cares about her and he wants to you know, to be with her. And at the same time, he is his expectation of her is that she will give him right. his undying attention and um, do anything that he wants her to do because that is her place as a host. Yeah, I think that's a good point. It's like he's both saying he's different than all of the other guys and yet is in, so, in some ways is exactly the same. Right. But yeah, you're right. I do feel like this scene in particular was a turning point, but your the later scenes that um, that you're speaking to where they finally find this town with the white church, uh, he was, um, you're right, oddly possessive, mm. uncharacteristically possessive based on what we've seen thus far. Um, so then we are in with like a... <laughs> they're, it's like they're a Westworld mortuary or sick hospital or something, but um, they've got <laughs> Cullen's body there, and Stubbs is advising Ford and Hale. So we already talked about this, but basically she was in the same ravine where the woodcutter was, and she was found with those transmitting devices. Um, and of course, Stubbs 
has looked into it and they're full of proprietary information, only works at high altitude, basically the same kind of things that Elsie was figuring out. Um, Stubbs now provides mm-hmm. that same expose, but of course we know that both Ford and Hale know exactly what they are. So Hale kind of plays along saying, did she get an opportunity to send it? Um, and he says, no. Um, and if she, does she know or does Stubbs know who the data was intended for? And this is where Stubbs said that he knows Cullen as being loyal. Um, she had her faults, but, you know, loyalty was certainly not one of them. And Hale agrees that this is all very out of character, just like you said, Kim. Um, and then Hale, in this kind of, like, power dynamic that we're seeing, says that Cullen's biggest concern was the new storyline. She says that very pointedly at Ford. Um, and Ford says he knows that the demonstration with Clementine was fake. It's like... They both have the opportunity to make Cullen their scapegoat and not have to confess to their sins. And they basically both agree to do that. Like, is that your reading of it? Yeah, I definitely think that this um, power struggle between them is not over. But yes. in in this particular scene, I think that, you know, Stubbs was somewhat unaware of this um, back, yeah. back and forth that <laughs> was happening on? between Ford and Hale. Uh, where I think both of them were calling each other's bluffs. And I think both of them know exactly what happened. But it uh, is going unspoken at this point, at least. Yes. Um, So Ford uses the opportunity to show that the Clementine demonstration was fake to say that QA has too much access and too much oversight and they'll need to be reined in and that he's able to automate much of the safety protocols of the park. So this was just like giant red flags. Yeah, not a great idea. There's like literally no oversight for Ford or his team anymore. Yeah. Uh, So that's a concern. And of course, Bernard is going to be back because he was unfairly fired. You know, in the last episode, we were wondering how he would be able to manipulate the board. And I think this is the perfect scene that just shows you... um, I think, honestly, the, that Hale makes a decision as to what's more important to her and more important than uh, Cullen, obviously, is getting that information safely out of the park. And that's yeah. the mission she's going to resume. Well, she said she... as much last episode, right? Yeah, when she it, is, exactly. like, having yeah. this super awkward um, meeting with Cullen in her bedroom, yeah. Um, yeah. she tells her the people of this park don't matter these employees don't matter matter. all that matters is this proprietary information and i think that that yeah was literally shown to be the case in this episode where i don't think she is super concerned about the fact that colin may have been murdered for yeah for for you know hale's cause yeah um so Maeve, Maeve is with Felix in the lab when Sylvester comes in and says the higher-ups are, you know, like, doing some kind of investigation, which, of course, is um, related to Cullen's murder. But they don't know what it's about. So um, they just need to get things back to normal. And he says he needs to take the tablet back from Maeve, who who is... Uh, using it to get a better understanding of herself, I think. And she says that she's learned all she needs to. So this is the point where um, she speaks to this old part of herself that you had mentioned earlier. It's this like Mm -hmm. beautiful and complex old part of herself that's like two minds arguing with each other. And she says it's like she was designed to do something that she just can't quite grasp. So what do you think that that... Like, what do you think that dormant part of herself is? 
Yeah, I mean, this is what I think we've been talking either around or two for eight episodes almost, right? Yeah. Um, is that there is something built into especially these old hosts. Of course, her next question is, who is Arnold? Yes, so, yeah. Um, it, that there's something built in that will be activated when something happens. I mean, we thought that was exclusively the vocal cue um, of the Violent Delights, but maybe it's not since Maeve has heard that and can't access this other piece yeah um, and, and I, maybe this I, is what the maze unlocks yeah yes right um yeah i think that that has to have been debunked somewhat about the violent delights and violent ends um mm-hmm. you know being some kind of wake-up phrase because we're seeing hosts everywhere uh you wake know, te- know. teddy's remembering things now bernard is remembering things now um like everybody is having this awakening we saw mave have um some kind of awakening when she was still in her old storyline like in the lab with bernard and ford when she stabs herself in the neck right or when she refuses to like follow commands i mm-hmm. i just think that there's something bigger going on in that um than just the line. than just that yeah. one phrase yeah yeah um, she asks who Arnold is. Felix and Sylvester have no idea. Um, and yeah, she wants them to take her to behavior to get access to the updates. It's too complex to do with just the tablet. So they want her, sorry, she wants them to take her upstairs to behavior where she has access to more sophisticated programming abilities. She needs updates to her core code to be able to do, to plan her escape, right? Or to execute her escape, I guess. Is like, that what they're doing? Yeah, that's what I, like, she's going to need to get her army in order to get her army. She has to be able to control other hosts in order to be able to do that. That's like tinkering with stuff that they just can't do with the level of technology they have stolen down there. So they have to go up. Yeah, 100%. They definitely changed her core code so that she can harm a person now. I just didn't know whether what they did also made her able to, like, walk out of the park. I don't think so. Okay. I mean, like... Yeah, at some point you still have explosives in you, so there needs to be another way around that. But she knows where it is. Yes, exactly. Um, She says she'll walk them through the changes, and as soon as it's done, she'll become someone else's problem. So um, Sylvester and Felix sort of like step outside to talk it over, and Sylvester's like, we should do this, but instead of updating her, we'll brick her, which is like full shutdown. Um, if you're gonna like, well, like I got smash her in the head, like literally. Yeah, they're, they're gonna say it happened in the park. Well, they're gonna like when he said that they were going to like essentially just like wipe her completely and, um, and then smash her in the head and say she came in that right. way. Yeah, exactly. Like woodcutter esque, you know? Right. Um, yeah. And Felix is not down with this plan because he's like, she's alive. To Felix, I think that that is murder. To Sylvester, it's just the shutting down of a host. But to Felix, it is murdering an alive being. Yeah, who's demonstrated she obviously has her own ways of thinking. I mean, she's not just under their control. Yeah. Which makes it even more like she's alive. I also think if you're going to hatch master plans like this, you don't do it one foot outside of a glass door. That's right. <laughs> With her sitting in the room. Like, she's just like watching them silently argue outside the door. <laughs> yeah. It's like that scene from Space Odyssey 2001 where they're like discussing shutting down Hal and Hal can read lips. Like you're trying to fight against a supercomputer 
And this is your master plan as to how you're going to devise the way to like get rid of her? Foolish. I feel like we shouldn't be terribly surprised that these guys are coming up with a foolish plan, though. Fair. I also find it really hilarious that, like, in the very first episode when Felix is there and Maeve wakes up and they have this, like, almost understanding of each other. And I was like, Jess, I'm really kind of shipping Felix and Maeve. And I think Felix was, too. Yeah, totally. He is like <laughs> obsessed with her. And now yeah. I'm saying I'm like this dynamic is not going where I thought it would. <laughs> <laughs> Maeve's like, you fool. Yeah. I will just walk all over you. Yeah, exactly. Uh, well, poor Felix. Um, so then we're with Teddy and the man in black who are still on the hunt for Wyatt. Um, so the man in black is just kind of like, openly not taunting but he's you know commenting to teddy about how it'll be amazing if he can find wyatt because he can't remember anything and he doesn't remember anything that ford doesn't want him to and the game is rigged for him to be the loser and as he says loser teddy gets his first flashback that we've seen to the night where dolores well Mm -hmm. one of the nights but the night that we saw where dolores is taken away from him and the man in black says something very similar yes exactly yeah So then they come across a clearing with more of Wyatt's victims, and there's one who's alive, and it's Angela, the girl who greeted William off the train. Mm -hmm. So the man in black says, like, he recognizes her, and he says, oh, I thought Ford would have retired you a long time ago. I guess he doesn't want to take a pretty face, like, out of the park or whatever. So is this still, like, coy? A lot of people are taking this to be... Um, like a firm confirmation of the multiple timeline theory, which I think that we have already um, decided is pretty much a sure thing. We're kind of speaking to it at this point as if it's a done deal. Um, So agreed. I'm not sure if uh, this was kind of the the show dropping a hint with an expectation that people were still unsure. Um, and of course, we don't know 100% yet, but like this was a strong hint for the multiple timelines, I think. Agreed. And that William is the man of life. Yes, exactly. Like, yeah. Because that's who we've seen interact with this girl before. Yeah. Um, so she says that Wyatt's men have done this um, and that Teddy says this is Wyatt's way because he was there the first time and Wyatt destroyed his world. Um, so then we hear rustling in the bushes and one of Wyatt's men attacks them so he's this like enormous guy with this like crazy helmet mask thing on and horns so teddy's guns again like the last time we saw him attacked by white's men the gun really doesn't do anything Mm -hmm. um the man in black wraps a rope around his neck and drags him to the ground and that's when teddy sees the second flashback of similar actions of him grabbing dolores and so Teddy's able to hatchet the Minotaur guy in the head. Um, but then he says to the men in black, I remember you. And of course, punches him in the face as well. Yes. Um, so like, the why do the guns not work on these people? Okay. I have no idea. But I was thinking like... <laughs> ma- I really thought there was going to be like a real answer. <laughs> you're like, okay, this is why that's the case. Here's the thing. I have no clue. Yeah. Um, but what if Wyatt and his men are like reading as human? Yeah, like our guests. Okay, like they're people. So like, yeah, okay. You know how Bernard, so Bernard essentially to all other hosts was kind of like he 
um, read to them as human. And so did this, like, yes. host who was beating up on Clementine last episode or whatever. Yes. So I was kind of thinking that maybe that is something. But even if the hosts think they're human, the bullets wouldn't necessarily be able to differentiate. <laughs> so maybe that's yeah. dumb. I don't know. Um, there's something about it, though. And he, also, this guy is enormous. Like, is that just he happens to be this giant host or something? I don't know. Like, and he, huge. like, doesn't make human-like sounds. I mean, so he is yeah. he is very, um, like, minotaur-esque, like, with this bull head helmet and stuff. I mean, it's not a, literally a bull head, right. but it's got the horns and stuff, which is kind of, um, I don't know, fitting, given that they're on a quest for a maze, because um, there's, right. like, the minotaur in the maze mythology or something, right? Um and then he's making these like animalistic sounds like yeah you know i don't know i feel like there is something off about this group agreed like i really wanted the reveal of taking that like why didn't they take the helmet off off? yeah yeah but they don't and yeah and then even at the end right everybody's like there we only see them in the shadows but everybody's covered up yeah yeah that's true something weird here um so another thing that i thought was interesting in this scene was that we saw the man in black mention time and how he has no time yet again yes so which comes up a lot uh, in this episode yes it's come up in past episodes as well um so Mm -hmm. in this in the context of this scene he's telling um Teddy, hopefully we're on the right trail. Otherwise, you're wasting time that I don't have. In a past yes. episode, you know, when um, when he was uh, trying to get the story of the snake tattoo, he didn't have time to wait for the three days right. that it would take to get Hector out of jail. He had to he had to um, do his own thing instead to speed things along. So, what do you think that the time constraint is? I don't know, but Angela says it too at the end of the episode. Right? Like, right before she stabs Teddy. I'm trying to remember exactly what she says, but it's something along the lines of... Right before Wyatt's men shows up, she tells Teddy that he has been out of, I don't know, out of the fray for, like, yes. quite some time. But um, it's time for him to um, to come back into the group because Wyatt will need him soon. Something like that. Yeah, but I thought there was even, like, a more specific reference to, like... To time. I'll have to go back and check that. Um, Okay. And then how reckless Ford is behaving too, right? Um, Has had no interest in storylines for how long. And now suddenly he's like ripping up the park with explosives and diggers to get something pushed through in an enormous amount of time and acting quite recklessly in the meantime, just to make sure that nothing stops him because they have so much work to do on the storylines. And that's what all of their time is focused on. Um, Mm -hmm. so there's like, I feel like this is part of that, what's going to converge over the next two episodes as we head to the finale, but that there is whatever is, um, creating this timeline, it is the same or related for every character. Right. Okay. Like I, I did think, I didn't necessarily think of it in that way, but that's very interesting. I was thinking of it very specifically as a timeline that the man in black is on. Like he's dying. And... Well, I mean, something to that effect, perhaps, yeah. because um, it it um, sounds as though 
if he isn't dying already, it's his intention to die. Like Angela, Angela says in this episode too, give him what he wants, just kill him to Teddy about the man in black. And, uh, you know, he has said in past episodes, you know, I'm never going back and I'll see you on the other side. There's lots of references to his death. Right. Um, So we have talked a little bit in the past about how uh, this is a world where uh, virtually every disease is curable and um, and that the man in black himself was this uh, member of a life saving organization that resulted in uh, saved life from one of the, uh, you know, the other guests who approached him. So I was thinking like, maybe he's dying and he doesn't want to be saved. Like maybe he is dying, but he's like refusing treatment or something. He just wants to do this one last thing and then be done with it all. He definitely seems ready to go. And the story that we're going to get to too about his family just kind of underlines that more. So, but maybe that is the timeline that's all related. I mean, we don't, fully know the relationship between Ford and the men in black, but is there something there is look, it can't just be coincidence though. Right. I mean, you're right. It's happening at the same time. I don't think that it's coincidence. I agree. But I was, I was almost thinking like it's the man in black's timeline and Ford is responding to it. You know what I mean? Like Ford is taking interest because of where the man in black is in his quest or something but i don't know um so that one i think we need a little bit more detail before we can really flesh out any solid theories we've got Um, two episodes left to get that detail so that's right um and then the um the other thing in this scene that i thought was interesting is that we saw in um, episode before last i think that teddy was actually that's um, an active participant in the killing of his whole brigade of soldiers um along with Wyatt and we also saw that he was the more senior of the two officers like contrary to what his story said so despite the fact that we know this to be true Teddy is still saying like Wyatt destroyed his world so I I am curious about that as well about how how that could possibly be unless um if Wyatt read as human, then he could command Teddy to do it. But if we don't know that, I mean, I think if there's one thing that the show has done to us. It's that who they show as a character when they're describing a character isn't necessarily the case. Like, have we even seen what Wyatt looks like, you know? And then there's this coming up scene with Sizemore where he thinks he's making Wyatt. Like, nobody even at Westworld seems to know like at headquarters what he looks like, you know? Right. Um, we have seen Wyatt in only in the flashbacks that Teddy has had. That's right. And Teddy as a host is unreliable as we learn through what Bernard tells us he can see, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So I think that, I don't know, but there's a reason you can't see who these people are um, and that they're all covered up and that they won't uncover any of them yet. Right. Maybe it's secretly Um, the whole staff of Delos. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (sighs) It's Sylvester and Felix. Uh, out in the park. <laughs> I have nothing. If you have ideas, we are at kjrecaps.com slash feedback. Please <laughs> send your ideas, Wyatt-wise, to us. Yes, we need them. Yeah. Um, so we're back with Felix and Sylvester. They bring Maeve upstairs on a gurney, and she directs them where she wants them to go. So um, she, like, updates the... Uh, 
a tablet in behavior and um, like with the changes that she wants she wants to make. And then Felix has to shut her down to make the changes. So as he's about to shut her down, she wishes Sylvester luck, which of course is like her acknowledgement that she she knows exactly what Sylvester is planning to do. Oh, it's so good. The look she gives him right there. Yeah. I know. So um, if we just wanted to like jump ahead really quickly to finish off that scene, like Sylvester, so he thinks that Maeve has been bricked. Um, So he is fully confident that Felix like went ahead with their plan. And he's telling Felix that despite that, the fact that they had this like weird connection, there was no other outcome that was ever going to happen with Maeve. Um, And then she wakes up and um, tells Sylvester that Felix couldn't just snuff out a life like that. And, um, and then she says Felix has changed her core code, as we've already discussed, and she demonstrates by slitting Sylvester's throat. Oof. Yikes. Felix was like, you said you wouldn't hurt anyone. <laughs> and she was like, Felix, you should know better than to trust me. Absolutely. Much. Yeah. Uh, and then they, um, Felix cauterizes the wound, but not like, <laughs> not even because it's like, uh, he's learned his lesson, like, let's let's heal him it's like he might come in handy so we'll just keep him around for now i thought there was really something remarkable about her watching you know sylvester in pain as a real human and then about these two like butchers on the ground surrounded by you know sylvester's blood and the pain of what cauterizing a wound really is you know these are people who just spend their whole day doing this to these hosts with no second thought um, and it's really intense. And then her getting to sit there and watch it as they go through it as people. Right. Um, you know, was meaningful. Yes. Yeah, definitely a turning of the tables there. Yes. Um, so, so Sizemore is working on his new villain who is a cannibal. And he's like trying to work through the lines with him to get them just right. Uh, when Hale comes in, so this is obviously the first time they've seen each other since Sizemore peed all over the map, very classily. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so they're talking about Colin, and he works up the kind of guts to say that he heard that she was a traitor, but Hale is very open. So she's like recruiting Sizemore here for her needs since she no longer has Colin. Um, so she talks about how Colin was working for the company. Um, and Sizemore tries to brag that he knows the inside scoop by saying that he's working on the new villain for Ford's new story and Hale quickly cuts him down to size. Yes. Um, that that is and also, case. I mean, especially after just seeing that like Minotaur type guy. Yeah. Um, and how terrifying it was. Like seeing Sizemore's just uh, generic cannibal villain yeah. guy it just just was not cutting it which is like the exact same guy that he created for his brand new storyline and the same guy that was in the i mean they've already talked about how they had cannibal storylines right. already i mean why are they man, all cannibals enough of the cannibal storylines they're just you yeah. um so then um Hale references the fact that the new storyline is almost done and that he's dug up an old town on the fringes of the park um, and then created a horde of masked men to terrorize the guests. And there's a villain named Wyatt. Um, So this is the first time. Okay, I'm an idiot and didn't realize that the town was buried. 
Me either. I thought that it was like a this like burned out steeple that was like just sitting on the ground. On the ground. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Me too. And I was like. I did not get that at all. Oh. So this really helps with the timelines now. Right? So right. we keep seeing this town. And I thought it was so funny later on, Kim, when they actually showed like a close up of the burned out steeple and the like steeple. And then a quick flash to the white church. Yeah. And that's like the screenshot that you sent. <laughs> like is exactly that. <laughs> I got one thing right. (laughs) It's like exactly how they do it. Um, But yes, the fact that this town is now completely buried in sand and then completely unburied, like, helps us kind of situate ourselves, correct? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, although um, the town is buried when Dolores and William get there too, right? So I think it's unburied in, the, of course, the scene where she's back in, like, her actual flashback, which I think you get a better cue that it's a flashback. Um, yes. Right? She's and wearing then, different clothes. That's right. And then today. No, but or so they're, not today, we're, until we're talking, recently. we're talking three different timelines, right? So yeah. we're talking timeline and when, del- and possibly more, right? Yeah. So timeline that is, like, let's say 35 years ago, that is before William. And it is during the days of Arnold or maybe shortly thereafter. The town is not buried. That is the time that Dolores, like, um, probably witnessed or partook in the shooting of all the townspeople, etc. Agreed. Um, but then when she is there with, with William five years later or 30 years ago, the town is buried. At that point, right? And then it continues to be buried to present day. Yes. Because we did see Dolores approaching the town and we saw the town itself. And then we saw it in flashback. But when it came back to Dolores with William, she sees the buried church behind them. And of course, that kind of of has her spinning out of control with not knowing when they are and where they are, etc. But we so, do get a scene of just her by herself seeing it unburied in pants, right? Like, as in not in her blue dress. Yes. Okay. Yeah. So, like, blue blue dress, town is bustling 35 years ago. And then um, William, five years later, in pants, it's buried. And That's then right. she sees it unburied, present timeline, in pants. Right. Exactly. Because... Because Ford has unearthed it. Unburied it. Exactly. I think I'm with you. We shall see. Um, (laughs) Yes, we shall. uh, So basically, Hale is recruiting Sizemore, and we're going to see more of that storyline to come. Um, So Maeve is back in the saloon. Um, So she checks her watch and tells Clementine that they're due for for some out-of-town guests, which, of course, is Hector and his gang. So I found that really interesting, too, that... um, Maeve is now so intimately familiar with the loop that she yeah. has it down to down to a time. So this is the first time that we see uh, Maeve's new powers uh, to control other hosts. So when the bartender comments that Maeve's tab is not in good standing, she she says in like almost this kind of like weird third person way that she's like Maeve's. Tab is in perfect standing. She literally narrates. I know. It's so funny. Yeah. And she she's very poetic in her narration. Right. And that's yeah. like, that is not how we have seen voice commands work thus no. far. Yeah. Um, 
so yeah, very interesting. She's she is essentially writing her own story the whole the whole time. Um so the bartender responds to her command. Uh, she sees a little girl outside and she has flashes of her of herself and her daughter again being stabbed by the man in black. Um, and then back to present, she uh, she gives a, a command to Clementine to take the other girls upstairs and then to the bartender to go in the back. So she's like clearing out the Mariposa in anticipation of Hector's uh, heist, right? So mm-hmm. um, she is showing some concern for their well-being there. And then, but true, yeah, you know. to get them out of the way, yeah, that's a good point, right? Um, but then she aids Hector and his gang by like making the marshals shoot each other and you know, making the sheriff just kind of ignore them, and then the sheriff gets shot in the back, so yeah, um, yeah, yeah, so, uh, anyway, yeah. so essentially, Hector gets away with the safe. Perhaps for the first time ever. <laughs> like, I know he's going to be like, normally. what do I do with this now? Right. Like, yeah. I wonder if there's even anything in there that he wants. Well, the man in black has said no, but who right. knows? Yeah. So Ford and Bernard are back together again. And Ford is thanking Bernard for taking care of the murder evidence because now they can go back to focusing on the narrative. Um, and Bernard asks whether Hale is going to be a problem and Ford really kind of dismisses this and says she's, she might try, um, but he doesn't think it'll work. And then Bernard picks up that there's something bothering Ford and I think Ford kind of like brushes this aside, right? In favor of, instead he kind of says that Bernard is in a unique position because he both has intimate knowledge of machines and he's also a machine himself who knows now his true nature. Um, and of course, once he wipes his memory again, he won't remember that anymore. Um, but I feel like you never really get at the heart of to what's truly bothering Ford. I agree. Yeah. Yes, I think he sidesteps the question in favor of um, talking about analysis, Bernard's, yeah. yes, an analysis of Bernard's intuitiveness to be able to pick up that Ford seemed troubled. Yeah. Um, so Bernard says he understands, you know, what he's made of and that he's coded, but he doesn't understand the feelings he's having and he can't figure out his backstory, um, which we saw Maeve struggle with this as well, right? Especially when they're faced with the idea that what feels incredibly real for them may not be. Um, Mm -hmm. so he asks about his wife and son and here I also find Ford is sidestepping you know, the truth here. So yes. Uh, yeah. He says every host. He, he never really answers that question exactly. about whether or not he actually had a wife and a son who, who was lost. Yeah. He's like, every self is a kind of fiction, both for hosts and humans alike. And I was like, well, no, cause <laughs> people, you know, experience the things that make up their backstory. Um, and for hosts, they could just be uploaded and think that it's real. Um, and this is where But I guess I guess I get I kind of get what he is saying here. Um I mean ultimately a human is like living their experiences over years and those experiences are essentially making us who we are today, right? Um so if a host didn't necessarily live all those experiences but has all of the um the memories of living those experiences, whether they actually did them or not, they have all of the same, I don't know, like experience to draw from 
today as a human does. Because despite the fact they didn't do those things, they have the they have the perception that they did those things. They they're not able to differentiate between the fact that they did them or didn't do them. Do you know what I mean? So if we look at where we sit today and where they sit today, then it would ultimately kind of be the same. Yes, although I feel like Ford basically makes the argument that there is therefore no difference between hosts and humans um, because imagined suffering or real suffering is the same. Um and that this is the, like the question of what about this is what drove Arnold crazy. And for him, it's really obvious that consciousness, it just doesn't exist. And everybody kind of exists similarly. And I just, to me, I think it gets to that point I was like trying to make earlier too, which is that the backstory is incredibly crucial. And maybe it isn't that whether it happened or not, but it's the fact that Ford just dismisses the power of the emotions that are, you know, linked to that and what they can create um and i think it's because he doesn't himself experience it but he's not also understanding i think the impact that ford is feeling and that the other hosts are feeling all related to feelings of love and caring i don't know yeah i mean i feel like it's kind of challenging like i'm having a hard time wrapping my head around it because on the one hand i mean ford is supposed to be the one who I don't know, wants to prevent the hosts from having consciousness and sentience. And now on the other hand, he's saying there is no difference between hosts yeah. and people and there is no consciousness. Um, so I guess I don't really get forward. <laughs> I don't really yeah. get forward at this point. Because how can you say that when you're able to just, as far as you know, erase Bernard's complete memory of this you know like how can you say that there is no difference and then you take all of that away from him and you have to live with the consequence of your actions and he doesn't anymore right like bernard doesn't anymore um but so do you think that do you think that bernard sorry do you think that ford essentially regards that ability as better better than human who has to like live with all of their Right. painful memories and whatever like he has said a few times that um he is going to free them of their memories and um i don't know make it better maybe he has horrible painful memories in the past that he would rather forget and to arnold like the hosts being fully sentient beings with a full you know full ability to uh, have retain their memories and be self-aware and be self-preserving that was the ideal but to ford maybe his ideal specimen the ideal being is a host who doesn't have to yeah i don't know i feel like that goes against who he's saying he is in this case but then i find it extremely interesting that he then lies to bernard about whether he's ever had bernard kill anyone else um right what's the point in lying if you're just going to erase it anyway and if you believe that there's no like chance that any memories he holds on to will just be like distant dreams and it doesn't matter and that there's no nothing guilt wise you're going to hang on to then why lie right there um Mm -hmm. although maybe it's for himself too but of course he does lie because then we see the flash very quickly of bernard choking elsie um, and that's Bernard's memory, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, does Elsie dead? 
I don't know. I feel like uh, we are going to see Elsie again, whether it is in human form or host form. I don't know. But I don't think that that's the last that we will have seen of her. And I think that it would be very suspicious for both Elsie and Cullen to just up and disappear. So I still think that there is there's a host coming. It's just maybe not, you know, who we thought it would be. Host Barb. Barb! Um, um, for those of you who did not le- listen to our Stranger Things recap, there was a lot of denial of Barb's fate. Six-month-old spoiler alert. That's right. Um, <laughs> so, yes, we Bernard uh, choking Elsie, and then Ford tells Bernard it's best not to dwell on the troubling me- memories, um, otherwise he might lose himself in them, as some of their other hosts have every now and then. So that's kind of, to me, how he's writing off Peter Abernathy and other behaviors, that they're not overly troublesome, they just get lost in these memories. Um, and then he erases Bernard's memory with his tablet. I thought that that, I thought that, that sentence was more meaningful than that. Okay. I mean, I didn't have anything specific to refer to, but I mean, like, if that final scene with Dolores um, is is actually accurate, where she is involved in this, like, mass shooting, or I, I don't know, maybe the aftermath of that um, could have resulted in her memories of that event making her go off the edge. Like, I was thinking that he was uh, mentioning something bigger than just the Peter Abernathy glitches that we've seen. But maybe you're right. No, but that's a really good point because, I mean, we're seeing Dolores get very unsettled is probably too minor a description of it by her, what she's able to remember. And even Maeve too, right? They, they're not, they're not overcoming them very easily. But I also think Ford, they're, they're misnomers to call them memories because that's such a human construct. And a memory is like, just like Felix says, we don't have the ability to live through them like these guys are. I mean, these guys are like suddenly in different times and different places and hearing different things and feeling, you know, things. Mm-hmm. I mean, we have no idea what that feels like. Uh, I think it's a far more jarring thing than just getting lost in your memories. And if even Bernard is having flashbacks to murdering one of his closest colleagues, um, yes, it's going to fuck him up. Yeah, that's very true. Um, so we're back with Dolores and William who are walking through the desert. They finally come across their destination, which is the town with the white church. Um, so Dolores says she's home and we've talked about this a little bit already where she approaches the town. It seems to be abandoned. Um, so we kind of talked through how potentially that is her in a current timeline approaching it after, um, Ford has unearthed it. I can't remember, I mean, like, she's definitely alone when she sees it as a deserted town. It's extremely misleading. Um, But yes, you never see, because I went back over this a few times, you never see her and William literally in the same shot with the town in the background. But it is cutting back and forth to very much imply that you are. Um, Mm -hmm. It's being incredibly tricky. Um. Yeah, totally. So current timeline, we're thinking her approaching it, it's deserted. But then we have it in the William time. I'm sorry. Then we have it in the Arnold timeline where she's approaching it. She is in her blue dress um, and the town is bustling. And there's almost like an effect. Did you notice that? Um, 
like unlike all of these other ones that are just like cut as if they're in normal time there was this like little screen flash and this little sound effect that gave you as she turned back into her blue dress that she was kind of going back in time so it like the first kind of signifier I found like that interesting yeah um so um the scene is the same one that we saw in Ford's flashback when he is describing to Bernard in an earlier episode about who Arnold is and, you know, what life was like living in the park during um, the initial test phases and stuff like that. So it's the hosts that are being taught to dance and there are um, like lab techs or like people from the park who are actively in there with them taking notes and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, so this is where we see a woman in a lab coat tell Maeve, well done. And then Lawrence's daughter approaches and asks Dolores if she found what she was looking for. And I have theories on this. Okay. What? Okay. So I think that Lawrence's daughter in this is kind of her, like, this is going to sound so stupid, but I feel like she's like her spirit guide. Do you know what I mean? I don't think. So she's not real? I think that she is real and she was in that town at that time. But I don't think that at that town, in that time, she stopped Dolores in the middle of the street and asked her what she was looking for. I feel like that's almost like a representative of Arnold who's asking her in the memory if she has found what she is looking for. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then um, I also, it made me think when I go back, when I think that I mentioned it in a past podcast, that the only scene that did not make sense to me in terms of the multiple timelines was the scene with Lawrence's daughter in Pariah. No, in Lawrence's hometown in an earlier episode where she was there and then she disappears. Right. And that um, how the um, the timing and positioning of that did not make sense for that to be in the current timeline and then to be in the William timeline. I think it was um, that interaction with Lawrence's daughter. It was because the town didn't look right, right? Because it would be. Yes. Yes, exactly. Black would have just come through. I th- so I think that the scene with Lawrence's daughter in that episode as well took place in this 35 year ago timeline. So I'm pretty convinced that in addition to the Bernard Dolores flashback one on one scenes, we are looking at three different timelines in our Dolores maze hunt. Interesting. I think we could definitely <laughs> be looking at multiple scenes, timelines. I just I don't know that. His daughter, but I mean, definitely the way she talks to her is extremely strange. She is like a guide marker of some kind. If she's not specific for Dolores, I mean, she's definitely like a wayfinding character that has nothing to do with, like you get the impression that she doesn't have any kind of role other than this one. So do you like, do do you get what I'm saying though, in terms of it being like, she isn't actually asking her that question 35 years ago, but it's like present day Dolores having a memory of that time and that being a representation of like the Arnold voice or, um, you know, whatever in her memory, asking her if she's found what she's looking for through the memories. Do do you get what I'm trying to, to, to say? I do, but then I'm confused as to why she was the marker for the man in black. Like, I think that she actually exists. Right. She's not, like, just existing in Dolores' memory. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe that whole thing is a little too far-fetched. But I do 
think there's something weird about her. Agreed. So you're thinking that she is just like there. 35 years ago, she's there and she asks Dolores if she found what she was looking for, you know, in real time and then ran away when there was gunshots. Yeah, it's a good point. Or, I mean, I don't know. I really don't. I find the Dolores timeline so hard to work out right now. I think we're intended, obviously, to be incredibly confused by it, just like she is. And it's like coming to a head. I mean, um, William blames the fact that they're on the outskirts of the park, but I think it's more like that everything's starting to come together. Um, and it's kind of mm-hmm. the most confusing right before it all becomes a little bit clearer. So is that 35 years ago or is it like the mixing of different memories together? Yeah, there's definitely mixing going on, right? And there's definitely some memories that aren't truly memories. I mean, Dolores right. couldn't have been shooting up the park and also been face down in the river unless it was both true memories and they just weren't chronological. Can I tell you something really random that I can't put anything behind to back it up at all? Yes, but please. I did think when William's behavior annoyed me so much earlier on by the water, um, I was like, has William tried this over and over and over again? And he's like annoyed at this point. Like the first time he came through this, he was like incredibly compassionate. And now... You know, he gets, like, to a certain place with Dolores and then he can't break her out. But that means she was off her loop for, like, an incredibly huge amount of time. And and Logan is still there. Yeah, exactly. So it doesn't work. But Oh, but that would have been a cool thought. I oh, mean, thank you. like, again, we don't know if this stuff is being shown chronologically. So, yeah. you know, maybe there is an element of that and we just... We just um, are presented it as if it's all happening one after the other. And it isn't necessarily. Um, Okay, so um, Lawrence's daughter asks Dolores if she found what she's looking for. And then gunshots ring out. Little girl runs away. The streets are riddled with bodies. And then Dolores sees who the shooter is. And it's herself. And then Dolores raises the gun to her temple. Her, like, alter ego. And in the William timeline, Dolores raises the gun to her own temple as well before, like, William knocks it away. Mm-hmm. So Dolores is back in, like, her pants. You know, we're back in, fully back in the William timeline. And she's, like, fully distraught. She doesn't know where she is or when it is. And she asks William if he's real. And um, she, this, is, this is when she sees the steeple behind him and of the church. And it's been, like, buried the whole time. So we've seen this flashback of, like, the shooting in this town over and over and over again, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and it's always this, like, huge pile of dead bodies and Dolores standing there. Yeah. Like, is there... Is she the shooter? I don't know. And it's like, this is where I'm saying that it's that it's like, this is where I'm talking about like Lawrence's daughter as spirit guide and whatever, because it's like she's walking through the memory. She is not in a, like, if she's the shooter, then the memory would be of her shooting these people. But it's not, right. it's of her watching herself shooting these people. So it's not as if she's reliving doing those things. It's like she's watching it from, you know, from a distance. And that's why I I feel like these memories, if you want to call them that, are somehow different than than some of the others, maybe. But if she is the shooter, then that's incredibly out of the character of the Dolores we know, right? Um, 
And is it something that's like completely buried that she... So I feel like this is all tied to the Wyatt storyline. This town with the white church, it is the same place where we see Wyatt shoot up all of these soldiers. But now we know that it's not just Wyatt who's shooting them. It's also Teddy, who we would have said was extremely out of character for the Teddy, the Teddy character too, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And and Ford said when he created this storyline that it's based in truth. So yeah. maybe Dolores wasn't the only shooter. Um, I do feel like you can't make out a shooter in another um, one of these flashbacks, but I feel strongly that like through the smoke and stuff, like I could definitely see a silhouette of someone, not necessarily a man, but someone with a um, cowboy hat on, which mm-hmm. Dolores did not have on in this um, scene. No, that's right. So maybe she isn't the only shooter but i have no idea what her motivations would be to shoot them all up except for maybe if she went crazy and thought they were all i don't know yeah but wyatt went up like disappeared came back saying he you know had heard voices yes Um, yeah and that this like it's like the world should be not for those like from the past or the present but from the future i don't know And then it's, like, got to all be tied in with the Arnold story, too, so. Yeah, exactly, because Wyatt went away, you're right, and said said he he came back and said he heard the voice of God. And that there was a whole discussion between Bernard and Ford about how this um, Arnold programming, where the programming speaks to them as if it's a voice, was based on this, you know, premise where primitive man thought their own thoughts were the were, were right. their we're... voices of, of of a god right yeah i think it's all tied together um but i don't know how <laughs> ah. <laughs> um so as they're walking away dolores says that um she was cer- certain that this was the place where arnold was going to meet her to help mm-hmm. um so it seems as as if she was expecting to, like, find a physical person there. Yes. But I am more and more convinced that this maze is not a physical place, that it is metaphorical. And, um, you know, Arnold is guiding her. When he says, find me, I don't think he means, like, I'm still in the park. Come and find me. I'm at my house in the middle of the maze. You know? I don't know, though. Like, I feel like there's... There's got to be something that's going to bring, like, the man in black. And there's that, like, native, you know, folktale that there is someone living at the center of it. I mean, yeah, I know what you mean. I I really think that the center of the maze is, like, within their own mind. You know what I mean? Like, um, (laughs) I feel like you don't agree at all. And that's okay. But, like, I just, I I think that it's a journey that the the host needs to go on to, like, I don't know, fully become self-aware, like, fully achieve sentience. Right. And if that's the case, I have no idea what the man in black's going to find or or where he's going to go. Yeah. I mean, he's looking to get to a quest where, at the end of it, you know, Teddy would be able to kill him. The, he wouldn't be bound by the rules of Ford's park but you'd be open to the creation of Arnold's Park. 
But maybe that is the point is that um, like the man in black is saying that there's a deeper game. It's Arnold's game. And in that one, you have to um, pay the consequences for your actions. And I almost feel like the man in black wants to pay. Agreed. He well, wants to pay for, for, the, sure. for what he has done. So maybe yeah. ultimately he's going on this quest in order for Teddy to or Teddy or Lawrence or whoever the hell was with him at the time, right, could like achieve this ability. I think that perhaps all hosts would then would would uh, have the ability. It's like all core programming might be updated at the same time. And then the journey is not for the man in black at all. It's it's for the hosts and to give him what he ultimately wants, which is for him to pay the price for all of the, the evil that he'd done. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, that I agree with for sure. I guess it just, whether it means that, I mean, I, I guess I question how the show physically works, if it's like a metaphorical thing that just happens inside their minds. Like, I do feel like there is, I don't know, there seems to be more of a quest behind it than that. But Right. I definitely feel like there's a quest involved, but I think that it's like, in order to best the game, you do have to go through these trials, including right. besting Wyatt and whatever. But that right. ultimately, it's not taking you further to a physical place where the maze will end up. It's taking the the host further as they go along this journey in becoming more self-aware. And um, Yeah, no, that's a good point. I mean, I don't know. I am thinking specifically, too, to this shot that I sent you earlier, Jess, and we can put on our Twitter after that we... Um, finish podcasting the shot of Bernard looking at Maeve's cognition in a tablet in the scene where she's like going crazy after the death of her daughter. And it looks, it looks a lot like a maze. Doesn't it? Yeah. I, I don't know. I like, I, I see that. And yet the image of the maze has been so much simpler but it's good point, yes. yeah. But I think that that maze, the the symbol is just like a representation of the maze. Yes, yes, And yes. there's like, Agreed. there is in the, the center of that symbol, there's like a Vitruvian man, just like the hosts, you know? Um, I don't, I, yeah. So I don't think that that's like actually a picture of what the maze looks like. No, no, sorry. I agree. Yes. Um, yeah. Well, let's share it out there and see what people think for sure. Yeah. Um, okay, so ultimately, we did have that sort of exchange too, which we've already discussed, which was where William seemed to be a little bit possessive, and he wants to like take Dolores away from this place. It doesn't seem to be good for her. And, um, you know, he doesn't care who Arnold is. William's the one with her now. So um, in any case, they're walking away, and they come across a bunch of writers, including Logan. And Logan's like, well, you guys are fucked yeah yikes I, I, I i'm scared just like there it's nighttime and they see a bunch of people riding towards them and they're like these people seem trustworthy let's I not know. hide I'm like yeah. guys like and what happened to your horse i know and like you're you're in the middle of ghost nation right that's scary and then there was like confederados after you right like exactly all you've done is continue to come across dead people and yet you're just like cool these yes. guys will help us yeah I'm afraid for Dolores in this scenario because William can't really be 
hurt that badly, right? But I am scared for for Dolores in this. Well, yes. And the best way to hurt William is probably to hurt Dolores. Right. Um, And it's, I don't know, I'm frustrated and I hope that this is what changes over the next two episodes. But for the girl who, you know, a couple of episodes ago was like, I envisioned a world where I didn't have to be the damsel, got to put pants on. She was so damsely in this episode, especially towards the end here, where she's just like confused and distraught and he's like let's leave this place it's not good for you and she's basically like okay um you know it just i don't know i'm waiting for her to kind of come back to herself and like take charge again yeah i i completely agree i really was loving the badass dolores that was starting Mm -hmm. to emerge and we didn't get much of that this episode um though i mean i guess uh the 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 show was uh, making a point through both Dolores and Maeve that the hosts are really impacted by these memories, as you said, because yes. they're essentially reliving them. So, I mean, like, Dolores is reliving, like, three plus timelines at this point. Yeah, right. So well, I, I guess she she's going like, a little nuts. She's like, when is this? I'm like, good question. Exactly. No idea. Right. So Hale has taken Sizemore down to the creepy cold storage um and they go through all of the bodies and they conveniently land on Peter Abernathy which was <laughs> I found this to... kind of funny because I I would have bought it more if like Peter Abernathy was one of the most recently um decommissioned hosts and so he mm-hmm. was right up front and so yeah. she picked him because she was like okay that one you know he's right right up front but she like weaved through dozens of, of Agreed. hosts before landing on him. This one. And, like, doesn't know why any of these were decommissioned. Anyway. Um, but her point is that she wants to put all of the data that they were trying to smuggle out of the park. Her new plan is they're going to do it in a host uh, because a host's brain can hold the amount of data that they need to smuggle out. And she needs Sizemore's help because he is going to figure out a storyline that gets gets the host on the train out of the park. Um, Which would have to involve removal of the failsafe. Yeah. And, I mean, we've seen the hosts on the train before. Like, Teddy comes in on the train a lot of the time. But different team. train, right? Like, that's the train going into the park. I'm thinking right. she she wants exactly. him on the train that William and Logan that came take, in that on. That goes home. Yeah. yeah exactly. Um, and also, like, she's literally putting all of her eggs in one basket, which seems problematic. Of course, this is a host that we have of a history, and we know the last time we saw him, he was emotional as he was getting decommissioned. Um... Yeah, seems um, like a terrible so, idea. So was Clementine, too, by the way. I've thought of that because we've spoken about the fact that Peter Abernathy walked into that cold storage with, like, tears in his eyes. Yeah. And then when Clementine was being decommissioned, she was crying as the, like, tears were running down her right. eyes. Like, as the drill was, like, um, like being drilled. Her. Yeah, exactly. Um, so... Yeah, it uh, it appears as though, like, this is not as painless um, a procedure as maybe the the park tends to think. Makes it seem, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, so um, this quick scene next is just Bernard being stopped by Stubbs, which we've already talked about. And Stubbs is, is super suspicious, not only of the fact that Bernard's like, I barely even knew Teresa. And also because Stubbs asks him, have you seen Elsie? And Bernard is like, oh, she's probably just enjoying her vacation or whatever. Um, neither Bullshit. neither yeah. of those seem terribly plausible to stuff. Yeah, like think. we messaged Elsie, who's constantly connected to, to, to technology, that the head of the park was like died in the park and she's just enjoying her vacation. <laughs> like That yeah. doesn't make any sense. None. So in the next scene, we Teddy and the man in black have set up camp with Angela. Um, so we talked about this one a little bit already. So um, Angela is, t- is telling uh, them that Wyatt's men keep whispering that the world, this world doesn't belong to the new settlers old, old, it belongs to something yet to come. It belongs to him. And like, I still think this is like him with a capital H, not him meaning Wyatt. Um, But I don't know who him is. Yeah. And then like Teddy like finishes her sentence as she's speaking because of course like he remembers these lines. Um, It's the same thing that like Wyatt was spouting way back in his uh, you know backstory where he came out of the woods after being missing for weeks. So the man in black remarks that the two of them seem to be on the same new narrative. (laughs) And, uh, you know, Teddy talks a little bit about like how he has a clear motivation and his motivation is to save Dolores. And he talks about Wyatt's motivation, which is to essentially like, I can't remember what he said, like rule the land or, or Mm. like burn it down or something. Um, But he is unclear about the man in black's true motivation. And for all the time they spent together, he still doesn't really know who he is. So Teddy has decided that he's going to make him talk. And uh, he throws a pretty, like, brutal punch. Um, And uh, it's pretty clear um, to me in this episode, more so than in, like, others, I think, that, like, the guests really can get hurt. They just can't get shot. I mean, I was even thinking... they can die, maybe. Yeah. Right. I mean, like, they... Yes, exactly. They can get shot. It's just not lethal. Um, but even when, when like Dolores was asking William to like give water to that dying soldier for a minute there, I was thinking William was like, well, I'm going to need this water because I'm a human and <laughs> like, um, you know, like what would happen if he got stuck out on the desert for days on end and had no water? I don't know. I know. Um, I thought of it too. And like, what if these guys got like drunk and jumped off of one of the many canyons? Like, right. don't tell me that's never happened in 30 years of the park either, right? Like, yeah, I don't know. Um, So he tells the man in black that he remembers him hurting Dolores. And the man in black, like, cuts deep when he's like, you're an idiot if you think that she's dropping that can for you every day. Because yeah. all that happens, Teddy, is you just hand her over to men like me and all you are is a glorified pimp. Yeah. Um, and that results in another punch. <laughs> and... Uh, you know, the Teddy, like, threatens to kill the man in black. And this is where he says, like, you can't. The rules of this world make mm-hmm. it so that's impossible. But I know how to change the rules. And so Teddy's like, you talk like you own the world. And the man in black is like, not just this one. You want to know who I am? I'm a god. 
I'm a titan of industry. I'm a philanthropist. I'm a family man. Um, so this was where we got like some backstory to the man in black that we hadn't gotten before. We've spoken to it already. The wife who committed suicide and that ultimately it was his true nature, despite the fact that he didn't um, share uh, who he was with the park with his wife and daughter. Ultimately, she, like they saw it anyway. And um, he said that his daughter told him that his wife committed suicide because everyday living with him was terrifying. And I thought that this was interesting. I wanted to see what you thought about it, where he said that the reason why living with him was terrifying is because any day he could blow up or collapse. Right. Like a dark star. Like blow up or collapse? I thought that was strange phrasing. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so one of the things from this, just as like a total storyline point, is that I had been assuming that the men in black had been regularly coming to the park. Yeah. For the past 30 years. And I no longer think that. No, I agree. There was a long stretch Um, in between. Exactly. So if this is William, like, is this Logan's sister or is this someone else? I mean, it's 30 years that he's been married. So it's like right at this time. I think it has to be Logan's sister. Right. So he goes back home after whatever is going to happen here at the end and tries to make life seem normal. Yeah. Um. But obviously I feel he's, like, like so affected by it. Like maybe Logan doesn't make it back. Like maybe the man, maybe maybe William kills him, kills Logan. Um, but wouldn't that have like? I mean, they said there's been no major incidents, and then like they they said there has been. Like, remember how we talked about this in the very first podcast that they said they haven't had a critical failure in over thirty years. Mm-hmm. Well, if William and Logan are thirty something years ago yeah logan could die and it and it would still hold true that they haven't had a critical failure in over 30 years true and i mean do they consider it a critical failure if two humans kill each other i mean what's the breakdown of the park there like Um, i mean well i guess i i maybe if you just consider critical failure human death in the park right but if it's for a non-park reason then maybe it's not even yeah, I, I mean, don't it's know. hard to believe. Again, the two humans have never killed each other, given everything that happens in this park. Um, yeah, I don't know if Logan doesn't make it out, and potentially William like kills him. That he goes back to his life, marries Logan's sister, takes over Logan's like you know spot at the company, becomes this titan, but like will never again be the um the man he was before because he has this like dark part of himself that he has discovered and opened up and then he keeps going back to the park to like i don't know live that live that part out yes except for i don't feel like he kept coming back to the park anymore um well he did in the in the early days right but then not in a long time after that yeah that's how i took it yeah yeah um, i don't know I've, I've certainly thought before, too, about whether Logan makes it out um, and as to, like, what sets William up to become, you know, the heir apparent. Or is it just more simple than that in the sense that William comes out and then, you know, has all of these realizations about himself and, like, leaves from under Logan's shadow and go and starts his own crazy, you know, company or something. But Right. I don't know. Okay, so William says that the park didn't go under i'm sorry the man in black said that the park didn't go under 
because of him. Right. And we, we assumed that that meant like a buyout of William slash Logan's company. And maybe it does. But maybe it's also a cover of some kind. Like what if Dolores goes bananas, for instance, and William like covers it up in order to ensure the park was able to um, go on despite some kind of critical failure. Yeah, um, I don't know. I think um, like there's something about that. I, I do think it's that their company buys it. Um, yes. But ultimately, you know, William goes home and is never the same after this experience, which makes him both immensely successful as well as trying to atone for something through all of this philanthropic work and is now, I think, consumed by grief and guilt as to how he's led his life. Um, I don't think that he's atoning, though. I don't, because he's saying that, like, his wife, she described all of his good deeds, and I would assume that would include his philanthropic work, to be a wall that he's building to hide who he truly is, even from himself. I mean, like, so we saw these guests approach him to thank him for saving their sister's life. And he's like, don't fucking talk to me. I'm on vacation. Right. I think that. Yeah, no, sorry. I I agree. I don't mean that it's like atoning in the sense that it's like, I mean, he's trying to atone, I guess. Um, You know, like you have done all these horrible things in your life. So you start like one of the biggest philanthropic organizations. Like, like, I, I think that those two things are related and you're trying to outweigh the bad you do by doing more good. Um, but it doesn't work that way. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I do. I mean, like I obviously, he's looking to a to atone to a, to some extent. If we are correct, that he is like looking to um be at the receiving end of like the consequences of all of his actions within the park through like finding them the center of the maze you know what i mean so you're right i mean maybe it's all maybe it's all a level of atonement for all the shit he's done over the years so um he tells he tells the story now about like so we get the backstory of mave and her daughter's death ultimately the man in black like um he was told by his wife he was the evil inside and he wanted to see if she was right so he just decided to do a horrible thing, which was to kill Maeve and her daughter and see how it made him feel. Mm-hmm. And he didn't feel anything. But he did see, for the first time ever, after all his years of coming to the park, he saw a host be truly alive, which was Maeve grieving over her daughter. And we've had we've heard him say too that like after coming to the the park for years, you start to see the glitches. But when the hosts are suffering, it's when they are most alive. And I think that that must have started here. He saw right. them. He saw this from Maeve for the first time, and saw her be truly alive. And now he is continuing to like, I don't know, look for that in their suffering. Right. Um, so like while he is telling this story of Maeve, we see flashes of Maeve herself in present day, like telling Clementine, you know, the Mariposa is yours, I'm leaving. And then she goes outside and as the man in black is telling the story about Maeve fighting back in this flashback, she like pulls a knife and cuts the man in black, which she shouldn't be able to do, right? But it doesn't seem to really do any damage, does it? Like it's like, mm, yeah, maybe it's just a grace. 
I think it did, like while it would what the same action cuts Sylvester open cannot really hurt him. Right. Yeah. So in the same moment as she's like, you know, cutting the man in black in a flashback, she is cutting Clementine's throat in the street. Yes. In Sweetwater. And she is like then surrounded by townspeople. Some of them have drawn their guns to prevent her from leaving. And she tells a host like she gives them a command to like, um, you know, shoot at her pursuers while she runs away. Um. So Stubbs is then told by a lab tech that she's authorized a team to retrieve Maeve because she's not responding. Yeah. After, like, how long? It's like they finally have noticed that this host is behaving extremely weirdly. So do you think this was all deliberate by Maeve? Um, I think it must have been. She's too smart to now, you know, like not realize that those actions would lead her to getting caught. Although cutting Clementine's throat does seem to have been in the flashback. So maybe not. I think that that, I think that that was more tricky editing because I really think that this was deliberate. And then when she runs away, when she has someone like shoot up some of the hosts to like delay them and she runs away, she just goes back to her bedroom and like waits there. And she continues to have flashbacks while she's there, while she's looking in the mirror and whatever, but she just waits. And then the, the lab techs eventually come. So I really think that she is intending to get put into cold storage and And she is going to, like we suggested last week, like that is an army of hosts at at her disposal. We're just waiting for someone to wake them all up and then they're all inside. Um, So I was thinking that she wanted to do something um, that really showed that she couldn't be rehabilitated, um, which in this case was not only cutting Clementine's throat, but failing to respond to any commands or um, allow other hosts to take her in in order to get her put down in cold storage. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. Um, So then we've got more of the flashback of Maeve from her old storyline, which we've talked, I think, a lot about this at this point, but basically that they can't shut her down after her daughter has died. Um, so Ford Bernard come in because the, um, lab people are having such a hard time and Bernard, uh, pulls up her cognition and Kim, you mentioned that you think this looks a lot like a maze. Um, so, but it basically indicates that her cognition is fragmented and then Ford plays music instead because the voice commands are not working. So he plays a reverie, which you've heard. Um, I saw someone posted this on Twitter that there was actually a good audio cue early on that Bernard was a host because this reverie piece by Debussy comes on when hosts are involved um, Mm -hmm. and it played way back when Ford and Bernard were in their office together. Um, And Ford claims this is a trick from an old friend, which I think would mean Arnold since Arnold was also responsible for all the voice commands. Um, That would make sense. Yeah. So he says he'll take away her suffering and she asks him not to because it's all he has she has left of her daughter and we've heard this before as well. Yeah, um, from from both Bernard but, yeah. and Dolores. Yeah. That that's how they are able to remember. Um and he does take her memory and puts her in a deep and dreamless slumber and talks that a new role might be in order for her. So now we know kind of what led to her she was talking about that earlier, what led to her getting reassigned. 
Um, but suddenly she's awake and she stabs herself with a scalpel. And so. yes, like how? How did that happen and Ford put her back into the park? Yeah. I mean, that's crazy to me. Yeah, no, very true. Yeah. Um, as we've already mentioned, that is a good indicator that, you know, what was going on with Maeve predated any sort of secret phrase that um, Dolores might have whispered to her. I think yeah exactly yeah. Uh, maybe that was just a poetic phrase after all and it didn't really mean much more than that i don't know yeah for so sure. final scene it was the man in black telling teddy that uh, he left his whole world behind to come to this one and that for him the maze is the only thing that matters now and a lot of this um talk is it it really sounds like the man in black has resigned himself to death as, we, as we've already discussed and angela seems to think so too because she's like teddy just give him what he wants and kill him already um so teddy kind of tries she puts he puts a gun to the man in black's head but he can't pull the trigger and then angela uh stabs teddy with an arrow and uh we uh we see that she was not in fact a victim of wyatt's she is a member of the gang and uh she said it's a it's been a long while but wyatt will need will need teddy soon and so then just like out of the darkness, there's just like t- dozens of these terrifying, like masked Wyatt men. Uh, things don't look good for the man in black and Teddy. The man in black even looks pretty terrified. Yeah. Scared. I know. I thought that was well done. I, too. I, th- yeah, I think I that's the first time we've ever seen him scared. Yeah. Like he was not expecting that. No. Yeah. Um. So that is it. Episode eight. Yeah. Like a a lot a lot of good things to ponder. No big giant reveals as we said, but like some good backstory reveals and you know some think some thinkers in this one. Definitely. Um if you guys have anything to add to our extensive questions without many answers um please do leave us a note on kgrecaps.com slash feedback or feel free to drop us a tweet at kgrecaps or visit us on facebook um facebook.com slash kgrecaps and we would love to get hear your thoughts and include them in our podcast next week after episode nine yes um yeah well thanks so much for listening guys we will be back one week from today and uh, i can't wait to talk about episode nine absolutely me too thanks kim thanks jess bye bye